your weekly Selk Grassroots podcast, brought to you by the Down to Play app. Hello there, this is Ant Canavan from the Referee Forum, and I'd like to welcome you to this audio version of Referees The Final Whistle podcast with Ant, Martin and Nathan. If you're listening to this on Spotify, please smash that follow button to make sure you never miss an episode. And don't forget, we've got a video version of the podcast you can find on YouTube and Facebook. Right then, hello folks, welcome to episode 19 of Referees, the final whistle podcast with Ant, Martin and Nathan. And today's guest uh, is again a little bit of refereeing royalty for you. Uh, His name is Richard Storey. Uh, Currently, he's refereeing in the Republic of Ireland, but if you've heard of him before, it's probably because he made it onto the FIFA Assistant Referees panel during his time in Northern Ireland. Rich, welcome to the podcast. Tell us a little bit about your journey and how you got onto that FIFA panel. Oh, thanks very much for having me on, folks. Um, probably just come on and speak. Yeah, so I started refereeing when I was 16 years of age. I'm 34 now. i uh, done a little bit of refereeing in Northern Ireland, but quickly seen that there was uh, opportunities available on the assistant side of it. So I decided to go down that route. Um, so at the tender age of 18 or 19, I think it was, I went on to our, the Irish Premier League as an assistant referee. Mm-hmm. Um, and I spent then right up until I was 24, then I was nominated on to the FIFA. FIFA list in 2011. Um, and done nine years on the international panel. Um, was receiving appointments before I went on uh, in Europe, so thankfully I was happy with that. I'd done 56 matches in Europe and thoroughly enjoyed my time. Um, had a lot of good games, done six Europa League group stage matches, done the last 32 game, done a number of uh, internationals in terms of World Cup qualifying games, um, European Championship games, and yeah, enjoyed the journey, um, met lots of people, uh, done a lot of really, really good matches, and yeah, looking forward now, going down the refereeing side of it, I'm um, looking forward to a new challenge in, in Ireland, in the Republic of Ireland. Um, so, I've done probably 16 good years as an assistant. I'm ready now to go down the, the middle route, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to that challenge. You said you, you made the, the, the panel at 24. Um, yeah. That's that's phenomenal. As a 24-year-old, you know, that that's like a baby in the refereeing world, in the officiating world. Did you feel like any yeah. any extra pressure from anyone going, yeah, look at the young lad, FIFA list, what's going on here? Or was you like, nah, I'm, I'm flying, check me out? No, it's it's funny you should say that, Ant, actually. Um, the age that you can go on the list as an assistant is 23, as a referee is 25. Um, I, I was receiving appointments in Europe from the age of 21, which is unheard of, probably. It was unheard of back then, anyway. And yeah, I was always going out under the impression of, I'm a lot younger than these guys. I have to impress. But in saying that, there was a lot of learning at that at such a young age. Um, you know, I'm confident, but don't believe in a bargain, but I'm confident. But I maybe got a wee bit complacent between the ages of 22 and 23. Because there was a gap in Northern Ireland, there was a, there was a, there was an extra badge available. And uh, there was a lot of people telling me, well, you're gonna go on. 
um, your cert, definitely going to happen. Um, but see that year, that year before I turned 23, that was probably my worst year in terms of my performances. Um, not that I wasn't doing any less work. It was probably because people were telling to me from all angles and I was putting too much pressure on myself maybe. Um, and actually the year that everyone thought I was going to go on at 23, I didn't actually get, get on and I was absolutely gutted because I felt in the back of my mind, I was thinking, well, there is, there's one gap coming up now at the end of the year. I've been going well up until this, the shoe put me on, but that's where I went wrong. Think, thinking, you know, it's to get an international badge is, is not a given, not a given to anyone. So that there was a steep learning year for me between the ages of 22 and 23. Um, I, we, went on, we went on a training camp with, uh, with the Irish FA to Holland, to the football headquarters in Holland. And I remember it well. Um, one of our old school uh, observers took me to the side and gave me a real dressing down. Was really honest with me. Was really honest with me. And at a young age, I was absolutely, like, it was actually after an evening meal and everyone was relaxing and everyone was, and I was that torn apart that I went to my bed and I didn't want to see anybody. And I was gutted. And I was thinking to myself, when I go home, that's me finished. I'm going to give up. I was going through all that sort of, I was at such a low. And then funny, funny what's with it. The next morning we had our, obviously we were, we were getting up more than other things. Jan Muhlenberg from Holland came in to give us a talk. And instead of giving us a talk, he put on, do you know the, the movie Kill the Referee? Yeah. He put on that. And that motivated me. In a strange sort of way, this might, this might sound stupid, seeing them guys at the Euros and thinking, that's international level, I, I want that, I want a wee piece of that, maybe not at that level, but, you know, as high as I can possibly go. So for me, the night before, thinking, I want to give up, I was now thinking, you know what, I'm going to prove these guys wrong, I can do it. And the observer that gave me the dressing down, that was, he later told me, that was the response he wanted from me, that's why he was doing it. He wasn't doing it to to be mean, to be hateful, or to be anything else. He was doing it because he knew, that, in his words, he knew I was a strong enough character to bounce back from that and say, I'm going to prove these guys wrong. And that observer, that was on the January or February of that year, and that server, observer phoned me in October, or October of the same year, to tell me I was being nominated. And he was the one that was most, most uh, pleased for me. Um, so it had the effect on his part, but yeah, going on at 24, sorry to go away away from the question there, it is extremely young, especially back, back in, 20, in the early 20, 20, 2011, you know, it's most, most guys were, were late 20s, early 30s, at least before they got on the FIFA list. So it probably helped me from starting at such a young age mm. and I, you know, I did put the work in, I trained, done everything that's crossed my T's and dotted my I's and thankfully was fortunate enough to get that opportunity. So, obviously, you just mentioned it there. Like you know, you had a big sort of dressing down, but it was it was done with with love, I suppose, to try and get you to do better because obviously the solar potential in you. But and and obviously, just before we started recording here, we talked a, lo- a little bit about some of the mentors that you had, which I, I think probably you want to mention. And I want to know what kind of support did you have coming through? Did, did you know particularly when? 
you talked about maybe getting bigger ideas when you were 21, 22 and, and trying to deal with that, you know, particularly from a sort of psychological perspective. What kind of support did you have within the Irish FA that, that really probably helped you to get to where you are? Obviously talking about the 50 plus uh, international games that you eventually ended up doing. Yeah, no, don't get me wrong. The support was very good. Uh, I think as as the years go on, the sports the sport gets better because people are learning from all angles. You know, whether it be psychological help, whether it be help with your fitness, whether it be help with your general referee. And but back then, yes, there was development groups within each divisional association, so they were they were extremely useful. Um, and then uh, when you got to national level. Um, the best support I would say would probably from from your colleagues, the guys that have been there, you know, ten years, fifteen years. The, the, you know, the older guys in the panel and the more experienced guys. They were, you know, all the development groups in the world are brilliant. But I think the most valuable advice and experience and learning you'll get is speaking to them guys, speaking to them through games, speaking to them after matches. If something goes wrong, don't bury your head in the sand. Lift the phone. Um, ask for advice. Don't be in denial. You know, maybe at a certain stage of your career, everyone's done it. You, you've made a mistake and you're trying to talk yourself out of it. You're trying to, for example, if you make a, an offside call that's, that's wrong, clearly wrong, you're trying to find a reason to make it right. And we've all done it. Don't do that. That'd be my advice to younger referees coming through. Realize you've got it wrong and think, how am I going to get this right the next time? So, yeah, to answer your question, Nathan, um, colleagues probably w- were the best help, especially yeah. me coming up at such a young age, because I was at that stage, there's a lot more now, younger guys, but at that stage, I was one of the only, I was the youngest on the whole panel of, yeah. uh, of uh, even at national level, and the youngest by a good bit. So, chat to the older guys, get the experience off them, learn from them. I think it's a running theme and I think Martin and Ant will agree with me. It's a running theme that we talked about in the last episode about working uh, working with certain colleagues as you come through, particularly within the English system where you can be dueling and, and be an assistant on one league and be a referee on another league and, and actually learning from the people you're with. And we had a conversation about comms and things like that. So I think... I think that that's very much a consistent theme that, that we're seeing when we're talking to sort of expert referees like yourself, that really one of the biggest things is is actually learning from your colleagues. And I think that, you know, when you first come onto a supply league in England, you could you could quite easily have that where you, you start as a maybe a level seven or a level six and you're working with a level level four or a level three. And, and trying to, the message that I suppose we're all trying to put across is try and take as much as you can from them because it seems like, you know, top guys on FIFA and international level are saying, it, you know, it's got to be the, the right way forward. Absolutely. And, and not only that there too, you can actually learn from guys who maybe aren't at the same level as you in terms of being a lower level than you. Yeah. You can learn from everybody. You know, have an open mind. You know, look at, you know, I, 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 I love going out, not so much now, obviously I can't with the COVID situation, but I love going out and watching local games. And I try and pick up something from the referee. And you know, you know, you will always find something, some way, a really small thing, and it will improve you as a referee. Yeah, it's interesting because one of the things we were talking before we started recording this is about, you know, a little nation in inverted commas of Northern Ireland 
you know, smashing it on the on the European stage like you were with your with your team. And I think I think it's great credit to be able to go out there and hold your own like you have. And I know we've had people like Alan Snodder, you and always been a big influence on you. Someone out of that us three really admire Alan and what he's achieved. And one of the things that struck me is when you're going to the your normal one of the mill games at home in Northern Ireland. You're not going to get big, going to get the attendances that you get at these games that you're going to see in Europe. How did you find the acclimatisation to that? Uh, don't get me wrong; it was difficult to begin with. Um, yeah, as as you said, we we were from a small nation, and we we were holding our own at a, at a, at a, at a quite a high level in Europe. Um, but I, as I was, I was going to say now, without sounding too confident. Um, we felt at the time we were every bit as good as the English referees, as a German referee team, as an Italian referee team, and that might sound ridiculous to some people. But how are the guys from Northern Ireland every bit as good? We were putting like we are part-time referees. I work a full-time job. I train five times a week. I study my laws of the game. I do every bit of, as much work, I believe, as a full-time referee does. And and we we were there on merit. So we just have, you know, the English referees have, have probably the best product in the world in, ter- in terms of the, English, the Premier League. Premier, Premier League. Um, we had our Premier League. Our Premier League in our eyes is, is the best league in the world. Might be as high a level, but a game of football is a game of football. If you put the same work and the same effort into it, that's why I'm saying, without sounding too, hopefully not sounding too arrogant, that we felt we were every bit as good as the bigger nation referees. Well, it's interesting because when we had Clattenberg on, I know, Mark Clattenberg, he's, he's one of the things he touched on is exactly what you just said. And he said, Clat said, I, you know, I might come across as arrogance, but I'm confident. I, I'm, I believe in my ability. And I think you've got to. I think you've got to. We said we got to own your mistakes. You've got to own what you win. You own your bonuses. You own the appointments. And I think I've seen it. We've seen the quality of what, of what you've produced and, and the team you were with. And I think I think you've got to have a bit of that. And Clats touched on it about you know if you haven't got a little bit about you, that these are, these players are going to eat you up. They're just Absolutely. going to eat you up. And every, it's every you know, it's it's a it's a good balance. And I think I'm, I'm, I think you you're doing yourself a, a disservice there. I, mean, I think I think you're more than capable, and you're more more than you know you know. Sorry, I'm just right right to I didn't actually answer your question. Your question was, how did they go from doing a game in front of 2,000 from right to a game in front of 50,000? Do you know what? It was, in a strange sort of way, maybe easier in front of 50,000 than it was 2,000 or 200 or 500 because you can hear specific comments from the crowd of 200 or 500, whereas you just hear a big noise. And you know what? Seeing the whistle goes, you're not focused in the match. You don't really hear anything. You enjoy the whole, seeing the big games, you enjoy the whole, the big games, every game's a big game, sorry. Um, but I mean, European games and, and big stadiums in front of 40, 30, 40, 50,000 people. You enjoy the whole pre-match and post-match and you can see the media uh, presence and you just know it's a big deal. But you see when the whistle blows, the first whistle blows, it's any other game of football. You do what you do at home. You do what you do. You, you do what you have been doing for years leading up to that. So um, possibly easier. Pressure might have been a bit greater, um, but in terms of the actual moment, possibly easier in front of a bigger crowd than a smaller crowd. Can I can I supplement the question that Martin's just asked there? Because I, I'm interested to know about 
that when you go to a big, you know, you talk about big crowds, you go to a big place. Um, I'm assuming that, you know, obviously you were working with Arnold when he was struck by a missile in, in uh, was it Romania? And I, I want to know kind of what were you going through, what was going through your mind at that stage when obviously that happened and you're in a big crowd and it's obviously a hostile atmosphere. What, what, how did you deal with that and what was the kind of mindset around that? I actually wasn't on that game, Nathan. Um, you see, we were, we were predominantly on a team uh, throughout the journey in terms of uh, on Arnie's claim up to Cat 1. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of all your oblique games, like I'd done probably 95% of the matches with Arnold Hunter. But then, unfortunately, Arnold got demoted to Cat 2. Yeah. And when that happened, then the team was sort of split a wee bit. So I was sent to work with another referee, as was maybe the other assistant. And so things, things that was actually, there was a new, uh, who's now a FIFA referee uh, from Northern Ireland, Jamie Robinson. He was fourth official, but he wasn't FIFA at the time that that, that happened to Arnold. Um, and there was, there was a fairly, there was an experienced assistant referee, but, but the, uh, the other assistant referee was fairly new on the international panel. So having spoken to the boys, it was an extremely difficult situation. Um, the police actually in Romania um, had told the team of referees, I'm sorry, I told, by what I'm told, sorry, they, they told the, the, the UEFA delegate, this game doesn't finish, there's going to be big riots. So the team of referees were put under immense pressure to finish that game. Thankfully that happened, uh, it wasn't a good thing, but it was never a good time for that to happen, but it happened with only a, a minute or two to spare in the match. So Jamie Robinson done very well to go on and get that game finished. So he did. That's mad that, that the police are like, mm. yeah, no, you don't have the choice mm. to abandon the game. That's mad. Obviously they did yeah. have the, cho- the choice to abandon it, yeah. but to say these are the repercussions guaranteed if you, if you decide to abandon the game, that's that, like you say, that amount of pressure on those officials. Wow. See, the atmosphere, we talked about atmosphere earlier on. The atmosphere in uh, Eastern Europe, for example, a lot of Eastern Europe, com- Eastern European countries, I love because it was really, really intense. Mm. Completely different atmosphere to what you might get in uh, Ireland, England, France, you know, the Western part of Europe. Um, it was just madness. You had, the stadiums looked like they're on fire. You know, you have yeah. the whole place bouncing. You know, it's it's just life or death over there to them to the fans you know and it's it's brilliant it's it's, it's good when when something that, like unfortunately what happened in Ireland doesn't happen it's it, it's good in terms of you come away with such a buzz after you know, refereeing that environment and it's just it's great in terms of walking into that environment as a match official i know that you you can't let it intimidate you and and put anything in, you know up you in terms of you know a bias or or you know anything like mm-hmm. that but surely there was something there. You walk into that and it is a cauldron of potentially hostile energy. Is it something you... You're only human. Um, yeah. I would say, see, pretty much, you're actually, you're going into the whole, see when you're checking your pitch and you're going, walking into the stadium, right? And you're, you're trying to show, we talked about confidence earlier on, you're trying to show ultimate confidence you're walking around that pitch with your head high and your shoulders out, like you are the man, if that makes sense. That's not to be arrogant, that's to be, I'm in control before the game even starts. So you're actually trying to put on, and maybe an act as such, in terms of, you know you're capable of the job, 
but you have to show that wee bit extra in certain in certain stadiums in certain places in the world to show that you know what you're ready for this. See when the whistle goes, it is absolutely no bearing. Absolutely no bearing. You hear noises and you hear, of course, you hear, you know, you're going to hear things, but you're 100%. It's hard to describe the amount of focus you have in, in such a high, intense game mm. that you may have to give three penalties against the home side later on in the match. You may have to give um, just a goal for offside that could have won the game for the home match in the very last minute. If that's what you have to do, that's what you have to do all day long because that's what you're there employed to do. Mm. And and we were talking also about um, you did one of the biggest games that's gone on in Ireland for a long time, and you did a friendly in Dublin with Ireland against England. What, what an event that must have been! I did, and I was saying uh, that game sort of came out of chance. Um, I got married in 2015, so I was actually on the honeymoon. Uh, it was May, and we had received a European appointment in the European Championship qualifiers for the beginning of June in the Ukraine. But our league in Northern Ireland had stopped five, maybe four or five weeks previous to that. So what happens quite regularly between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland is, uh, because in the Republic of Ireland there's a, there's a summer league and in the Northern Ireland there's a winter league, for European matches we might give each other a game to warm, to warm up for the European game. So cut a long story short, we asked the FAI in, in the Republic of Ireland for a match to warm us up for going out to the Ukraine. And we were supposed to, we were actually down to do a game in the second tier in the Republic of Ireland, in the west of Ireland, Galway, on the Friday night. Now I was due to come home from honeymoon on the Thursday. So I was thinking, well, I'm going to be tired for this one. You know, and it's all <laughs> oh, the way, it's away out in the middle of nowhere. It's probably three hours away from us, three and a half hours away, you know. And we're thinking, right, okay, it's, we need a match, but we'll have to do it. But anyway, Arnold, he phoned me on the, the day before I was due to come home from honeymoon. He says, we're not going to Galway now. Uh, we have a match in Dublin on Sunday, but we'll have to go down on Saturday night. And I went, right, okay. And I says, who is it? He says, can't tell you, because there's going to be a press release very soon and I can't tell anybody. I've been strictly told not to tell anybody. I said, come on, Arnie, who is it? And he wouldn't tell me. So I got off the phone, I got on to Google, games in Dublin on Sunday, because it didn't dawn on me. There's no way that match, we're referees from Northern Ireland. I thought we wouldn't have been allowed to do that match, but it was a friendly fixture. I was thinking games in Dublin on Sunday, and I was starting to think, why do we have to go down the Saturday night? Because Dublin's only two hours down the road. Um, so then the only game that was coming up was Republic of Ireland, England. And I was thinking, no way. Yes. So I text them, is it the Republic of Ireland, England? <laughs> text them back, don't say a word. <laughs> so I was on cloud nine, wasn't it? In the middle of a casino in Las Vegas, you know, that was our last stop in, in on the honeymoon. And I was thinking, God, this is brilliant. I'm going to be doing this. So I hit myself for the last last few hours. I was, I was in Vegas and I got home on Friday. We went down on Saturday evening. And that whole experience was just surreal. For the simple reason is the whole spectacle of it was, in, it was the first time England went back in Dublin since the whole troubles mm. in the 90s. And, you know, the media there was insane. It was more than I had ever seen any game. Um, you know, we were staying in a hotel and I come out of my hotel room and out of the next hotel, uh, the next room beside me, Paul Scholes walked out of. And I was, he was working for ITV on the match. And I was seeing just going down to the hotel lobby and I was seeing, God rest him, Jack Charlton. And, you know, guys that got there and thinking, this is a big deal. Like, and 
really enjoyed the whole pre-match. Um, you know, walking out under the pitch. And, oh, sorry, I've had, I'm going to tell a wee story before that. Um, went to get the teams out for their pre-match check in the tunnel a few minutes beforehand. So I went to the Republic of Ireland team. And Roy King gave me a serious mouthful in terms of get out, you know. And I, I was a big Man United fan growing up, and he was my idol. And I thought this was great. It's the only time I ever thought, brilliant, Roy King, you know. I didn't, I didn't care what he said to me. And actually, Martin <laughs> made it. Martin O'Neill, Martin O'Neill made a joke of me saying, it's all right, he, he speaks to all us Northerners like that, you know. And then, you know, just, it was just surreal. And then we walked the teams out and the whole pre-match was, you know, they brought the president of, of Ireland out to introduce everyone. And I looked at one side and seen Liam Rooney. And I looked at the other side and seen John O'Shea. And these are guys you're watching a match today, every Saturday night. And you're thinking, like, normally when you go out, you have to, I have done a lot of really big games previous to that, but you're going out to do teams in Russia and teams, and you're not seeing the players as regularly. Yeah. But these are guys that you've seen week in, week out on the TV. And you're thinking, I wasn't starstruck because you knew I had a job to do, but I was thinking, this is brilliant. I'm going to, and then I remember during the game, a flag being really off for offside, and he was, you know, and again, me and X, X United fan, and I'm thinking, this is, but thankfully the game went without problems. It was actually, it was actually quite a drab game. It was, after it all, it was nil-nil. Um, but in saying that, it didn't take away from the memories. And another good thing, Dermot Gallagher spent his whole time with us because he's, I'm sure you know, he's a big Ireland, Republic of Ireland fan. Mm-hmm. And he spent his whole time with us. And I have a funny story, I don't know whether I should tell or not, but I'm going to, uh, uh, <laughs> after the match, there was a few, uh, we were driving up the road home. We were going to drive up the road home. We went for a meal uh, after the game with our liaison officer, who's Paddy Daly from the South, who's well-known in the refereeing circles uh, all across the world, and Dermot Gallagher. And they had a few, of course, did a few Guinnesses uh, with their meal. And after the match, we were uh, we were driving. We, and Paddy says, would you, mind, would you mind leaving me off at home and Dermot off at his brother's house? Because his brother lives in Dublin. So we're like, yeah, no problem, no problem at all. And so you can imagine pictures saying we took to what was it? We Honda Civic. Yeah. So Aaron and Gareth, the other assistant in the front seat, and me dropped them in the middle of Dermot Gallagher and Paddy Daly in the back seat. So that Paddy dropped off, and Paddy says to Dermot, Are you sure you know where you're going now? you you know, he said, You've been here a few times, you know how to get to your brothers. Oh, I no problem. 100 percent they each of them had a few pints in them, like. And then uh, so Dermot starts to direct us, you know, take a left, take a right, and realise, oh, hold on a second, there's Tolka Park again. We've been past that three times. <laughs> and we'll, we'll pretty quickly realise he doesn't have a clue where he's going here. <laughs> and uh, the next minute we we'll stop, we'll stop the guards, which is the police in the south of Ireland, to ask for directions. And the guardy officer came over and picked his head into the window. Oh, look, it's Dermot Gallagher. Calls his mate over. We take Dermot Gallagher out to get out of the car for selfies and with the police. <laughs> and you're like, this is this is maybe at a, eleven o'clock at night, but it was great crack. It was great fun and things that got there. You know, you, you know, and, and we eventually got Dermot back to his brother's house. <laughs> 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 you no, know, that whole experience, that whole experience, Martin was um, was fantastic, and it's one that will live in my memory for a long time. Yeah, because because Clats again, he he talked about the challenges of, of that. Of like say, if, if, if having to manage people that are multi-millionaires, very well known, you know, that does come with its with its challenges, no matter what sort of person you are. It's a it's a challenge and a half, mate. 
Yeah, absolutely. There is, there is. You have to, and you know, you, you've different characters, obviously, on the pitch. And as I say, you, you have multi-millionaires on the pitch that you're refereeing. But at the same time, I think we're all trained to, to to put that in the back of your mind where possible. There's ways of managing them, but put it back in your mind in terms of you have to make a decision against them. You make a decision against them. And it's um, it doesn't matter if they're a player on two hundred fifty grand a week against a player on five hundred pound a week. It doesn't matter. That doesn't matter in the referee's head. Mm. A referee got to be impartial, but yeah, Taz is right. Absolutely right. It's it's finding a way to manage each individual is a skill in itself. What did you hear over the headphones? No, like that helps you as a referee. Internationally, we've said about um, as you climb the ladder. I always yeah. felt that you know when you're a line out and you listen off the ref. And you lay and you bring little things and little nuggets and you get acclimatised to it. On the international yeah. stage, that's just another level again, isn't it? To help you with yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. No, you learn a lot. I always tell people who are dead set against lining, give it a try for a while because you will learn so much, so much in terms of your refereeing by being on the line. You'll pick so much up from different referees. But yeah, you hear, hear, you hear all sorts Especially in the, in the Irish League, you know, you hear all sorts of ways of management, different <laughs> referees, different personalities. You'll have a referee that is laid back and won't say too much. And then you'll have another referee that might be, best word to describe, industrial. Um, to, you know, sometimes it, works, sometimes it works for certain referees, but sometimes it doesn't. But yeah, you learn, you learn so much, Martin. On the European level, it's sometimes hard to hear. Yeah, you have to be really clear, and, and we would always say repeat, repeat, repeat. So you say everything three times. So if you were given an offside decision on the line, you're going offside, 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 and you're saying it as, as clearly as you can. Mm. But you have to keep it to a minimal with communication. You know, too much is mumble jumble. Yeah, we yeah, have a similar problem with Martin on the podcast. Exactly, I'm going to say it three times. the bleeding three times. One of the things that jumped out to me as you were talking. And if I'm putting you on the spot, then we'll cut it out. But there's a, there was a famous clip of an Irish referee going, calm the fuck down. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know him. He was the score. Yeah, I know him well. I've worked with him on many occasions. Andrew Davey, he's, um, okay, he's a top lad. He looks a top lad. He looks a top lad. You know what? Him on. Put him in touch well, with him. Put us in touch with him. I'd love to have him on. Oh, well, oh, well. No problem. Um, no, he's, to be honest with you, I've been lying to myself otherwise. That, that's probably mild. For some, there's there's one or two referees in particular that if you heard the referee, you'd think. But again, that's their style. I, I personally wouldn't advise it in terms of younger referees coming through. Wouldn't advise using swear words or using because I feel you're setting yourself up. But for one or two referees over here, it works. I have to be honest. There's one guy in particular, and. He, he commands full respect by every player on that pitch every time he goes out. And he is as industrial as they come. So it works for some people, but I personally wouldn't advise it. So don't know if that's me sitting on the fence a wee bit, but... That's another theme that keeps cropping up on the podcast as well is referees who who make naughty words on the field of play and obviously we 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 say the same thing yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't lead with it i wouldn't say right i've just qualified fuck you fuck you fuck you but, <laughs> but if you've been doing it a few years give it a go yeah. see if it works for you 
No, I think we alluded to it right at the beginning of the of the piece here. And obviously we've just been talking about referees and the way that referees talk and, and the way that referees go about the business. And my question to you probably now is new, really exciting project. Uh, we talked about it just before we, we came on about the new uh, League of Ireland season starting in um, in March. And you must be really looking forward to that. But obviously we talked about how, how hard you work. You know, you were saying you're almost a full-time referee in terms of the way you train and work. In the way that you train and work, how much has that changed since you've gone from being an assistant to being a referee in terms of your mindset around training, preparing for games, all of these things? Um, and obviously you must have learned a lot from the likes of Arnold and others that you work with as, as you got ready for this position and maybe even spoken to them about making this change. And and so I'm kind of just interested to understand how things have changed for you now you view yourself as as the man in the middle. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I'm actually surprised that, and what I'm about to say in terms of Types of training has changed massively. Um, now, initially, I had applied to to do the transfer uh, back in, I think it was June last year, and I haven't got the chance to get into the League of Ireland yet. I've done a couple of youth games for 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 COVID reasons. Um, you know, I'm getting myself in terms of in terms of um, work. I've done a, an incredibly I've done a lot. I've done I've done probably four or five sessions a week in, in terms of fitness as an assistant. Yeah. But were they the same types of sessions as I'm doing now? Absolutely not. Um, I'm doing, I'm st- one thing I was never very good at, which I should have been, was strength training. So I've started doing quite a bit, well, not quite a bit, I've started applying more strength training into my routine and my high intensity sessions are even higher in terms of what, because, you know, as an assistant, you shouldn't be saying this, because I, I never, thankfully, never thought like that throughout my career. Um, you you need to be very sharp off your feet in terms of very quick, and very, but in terms of your, um, in terms of your... Stamina? Level, stamina levels. Stamina levels is what I was looking for. Um, Probably you don't need to be as high as what to do for a referee because the referee covers double the amount of ground. Yeah. So I am in the frame of mind now where whenever I get started in the League of Ireland, which I'm very excited about, um, once I get past my fitness test, which is hopefully in a couple of weeks, it was supposed to be last week, but was put back because of COVID, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to be caught out in my fitness. Yeah. You know, if after three, four months' time, if people come to me and say you're a bad referee because you can't recognise fouls, which hopefully they don't do either, that's fair enough. But if they come to me and say you're not good enough because of your fitness, I will kick myself. And I don't want to be that person. So I'm I'm trying to get myself now ready to the optimum level of fitness. Um, so I have up my fitness training slightly. Mm-hmm. Like I'm coming in here, I have two young children. I work 40 hours a week as a butcher. I have two young children of a three-month-old girl and a three-year-old boy and I'm coming in a few evenings a week when I'm doing the training I'm coming in and getting them down and getting them to bed and getting them fed and getting them changed and I'm going out I'm going out training or I'm going to do a strength, uh, strength training or weight training in the living room or I'm going to out to the shed to the treadmill at maybe half eleven at night mm-hmm. and I'm doing a full hour you have to find the time so I'm putting you know I'm putting the effort in um because I don't want to be caught out, and I, and I am. I'm really excited, but I'm really excited with the because my, my time in Northern Ireland was fantastic. You know, my 
the, the games that I got in Europe and, and my journey, I could, couldn't have asked for any more. Um, but this is a new chapter now. Yeah. That was in the lining, and now getting a chance in the middles, and I'm really excited about the future. So I want to be as prepared as I can be going into it. Yeah. And mentally, and you know, in terms of your preparation for for refereeing games of of, of sort of angles that kind of thing, you know. Yeah, no, that's that's again, that's that's things that you would have picked up, and you'd be surprised in matches. Assistants actually help referees with that. Yeah. You don't realise it. Um, once you get, obviously, out of advice at the start, especially when people start using communication systems, get the basics right. You know, get your files and communicate the basics. But once you've been working on the team for a number of years, you know, if I'm seeing the referee is running too central down the pitch, I'm, I'm, I'm getting in his ear, get left, get left, get left. So I would argue assistants know as much about positioning yeah. for a referee as a referee does. Because yeah. I've been there in every single changing room that Arnie's been there after after every match that he's done or any other referee. And I've listened to the advice that he's getting, not only the advice that I'm getting. Yeah. And I took it on board, not because I was thinking about my future, mm. but because I was thinking at that time, I'm going to listen because I want to be another set of ears for him in case he's missed anything. And yeah. I want to help him going forward. Yeah. Does that make sense? Definitely. And I think that that's one of the things that... You know, obviously, I think one of the things I always laugh at when I started as well with with referees at higher level was always about the way you manage players because a referee would say, I can run away and you can't. And uh, and I think that's one of the, must be one of the key considerations for you when it comes to, to management. I'm sure you've been surrounded after a tight offside or whatever it's been before, but I think the way you're going to manage players now must be... It's going to be completely different. Oh, I don't that that side of it. Now, hopefully, I'll have to call out, but that side of it doesn't worry me because I'm confident that I have the management skills, the mentality yeah. to deal with that. Um, that there, now, and saying that, it will always be. In, you, you always think about it, and you always think, you know, we study things. You actually, I do a lot of imagery in my mind leading up to a match. If something happens, and I have to call these two guys over. And this is a couple of days before the match. I'm thinking, like this, right? What what am I going to say to these? What am I what am I going to say to players? Because you have to be very careful what you say. Mm. Because Mark Dattenberg alluded to in, in, in the podcast you did with him about the whistle. The whistle yeah. can can have a lot of effect. Your voice can too, in my opinion. Mm. So I'm thinking of every single wee scenario that could possibly come up. Now, you might not get everyone, and I'd be thinking, right, what happens if I get a mass crawl? Right. So you're thinking, maybe you get your, your three different being angles, you're telling your assistants to get your different being yeah. angles. But also you're saying, right, what happens if there is a wee small thing, a bit of pushing and shoving in the, the penalty area before a corner's coming in? Mm. When I pull them guys out, what am I going to say to them? Yeah. You know, so... You're you're trying your best to prepare for that as well as you are for the physical side of it. And the biggest you know? question that I know that Martin and Ant will be desperate for me to ask is: Have you decided what colour whistle you're going to use yet? Black or yellow? Oh, brilliant! I guarantee you. Right, you you did the same thing to Clattenburg as well. I bet you've you stitched me up again. You have. You have. I've been stitched up again. Paranoia's on us. I have to be honest, I do own a nice neon yellow one, but I will never use it. Why not? What a waste of a brilliantly coloured whistle. 
<laughs> Listen, I've, got a, I've got a better question, right? What's the best way to cook a steak? You're a butcher. I know you're a chef. <laughs> yeah, go on, you're actually, go on. Come on, best way to cook a steak. Anything more than medium and you're destroying it. Amen to that. Absolutely, amen. Anything more than medium, you're destroying it. Um, depends on the size. Hot pan, three minutes either side. Perfect. Brilliant. And would you do what Rocky did and like hang up a carcass and like punch it when you're training and stuff? Get the straight training. Bring him back and knock me out. That is great. And your brother's a your brother's a, a, a referee, and your brother did did really well on a scene as well. Yeah, he was, and that was that was another highlight of of my journey as well. He was uh, he's younger than me, and he was coming through as a referee. I got him into it, obviously, and um, he took a wee head swagger when he got, when he got onto the Premier League as an assistant. He done, I think he done one year, and then he took a wee head swagger of going and playing again. And he was never going to make it as a player, but thankfully then that only that only lasted about a year, and he came back on and. He was able to get back onto the assistant list in Premier League level. And first appointment with him in Europe was a special moment. Like it was, and it was. We went to Malta. Now it was quite nice because the way the flights worked out, it was during when was it? 2014. It was the World Cup was on, and the way the flights worked out, we were there like three days before the match. So we were a week in Malta with one game. Oh, wow. I would always say be professional 100% professional at the job you have to do but also enjoy yourself because you have to enjoy yourself we're here I'm refereeing in Northern Ireland because I enjoy it it's not a profession for me I wish it was but I'm refereeing because I enjoy it so whenever I got them trips I made sure to enjoy them now I always put the match first always done everything I had to do but when I got a chance Laying, laying out the sunbed in Malta after a game, why not? Cracking advice. Absolutely. So, yeah, my brother um, ended up doing a number of matches with him um, in Europe. Uh, he would have, whenever uh, Arnie's other assistant was, uh, is, a, is a teacher, or what, is, a, is a teacher. And so there were certain times where he wasn't able to fulfill an appointment in Europe. So then quite often David was drafted in on merit because he was one of the top guys. Um, and that was just brilliant. You know, the two of us got out and, you know, growing up together, obviously, and not only that, we're not only brothers, we're very, you know, very close brothers. So to see that there happen, or to see that there at the time, that's one thing I, I'm going to miss and I know I'll never get back again. No. But it's so brilliant that you've got that. No one could ever take that away from you. Is there any, yeah. has there ever been any brothers that's worked together on the European scene as match officials? Not that I'm aware of. I know what... Did Andy and Bobby Madley maybe? I'm not sure. I know they no, maybe not. I can't I can't think of it. I know we done an interview uh, with Dutch referee uh, a number of years ago and at that time he was he was actually trying to find out whether there wasn't I don't think he could. Yeah, was I'm that Dick sure Yol? Was it Dick Yol? Did Dick Yol have a brother? Dick Yol, the Dutch referee? Was it was that was he one of them? I'm not sure if Bobby and Andy did anything. I think Bobby was on there before Andy and then moved up. And then Andy yeah. moved up. I'm not sure if they were actually on the same game. Like that's Europe wise. I, I, I'd be. I'll, we look into that. That would be yeah. really interesting to know if yeah. there's ever been any brothers at FIFA well, level in any way, shape, or form, or sisters. Fortunately, he stopped refereeing now completely, David. Has he? Yeah, he he was. Uh, he was unfortunate enough. He, he came off the list this year, and um, 
he's just decided he's got uh, his partner, unfortunately, has just been diagnosed with MS mm-hmm. at such a young age. So he's felt now, you know, he sacrificed, she sacrificed so much for him leading up to it. So he felt it was time now. Mm-hmm. He enjoyed his journey and he's time to just walk away from him. And he's only, what is he, 28, 29? So, but here he had a fantastic journey as well. So, at the time, was it was it a really good thing for you to to ha- to have him not only on the domestic league but also working internationally with him? Did did it help you? Do you think where you were pushing each other with the competition that you had to to see who could kind of do the, the the best job? Absolutely, it was always healthy competition between me and David. Um, there was never any, and I can hand and heart say there was never any jealousy between me and him. In fact, if anything. I would prefer to see him getting, and that's the truth. And I think he would probably say the same, uh, getting a, big, a bigger appointment than me. But yeah, it was very healthy competition, but it was good because, yeah, you're always going to trust your colleagues. You're always going to trust your colleagues, especially if you're working together a long time. But your brother, you know that that's that's pure trust. That's a hundred percent. Yeah. No, you know. So you know. If God forbid something happened, or you know, you would be there to help each other out. Or not only out there, if didn't, things didn't go to plan on a match or something, it was great to have that brother in the phone to say, "Look, I'm on a bit of a downer here," and he would always yeah. say something to me to bring me up, and vice versa. You know, when you weren't together, he was always the first one you'd ring on the way back after. Absolutely, and quite often enough, we weren't together, especially especially like when we were when we were going well in terms of Arnie's team. Um, David was very young. He was only literally, I don't think he was on the list when we were actually pushing on at that stage. Um, so there's quite often enough, uh, David was working with maybe the potential new FIFA referee and, and we were the more experienced team. Yeah. So there was quite often when we, we were going different games, we're actually living together for right up until obviously we both the partners and moved in together. Mm-hmm. And he could have been going one end of the country for a match and I could have been going to another end of the country. Yeah. But, yeah, and also, 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 because you're the older brother, if something yeah. sets up on a game, you can blame him like you do as a kid. If I if I broke anything, just blame it on the younger one. Do you know what I mean? And I think that's very handy. I think that should be recognised. Blame the younger <laughs> one. All day long. See, I was, I was going to say, big picture, brilliant to have someone you can confide in to that degree. But on the smaller scale, like if my mum asked us both for help I'm, and I'm the only one that turned up to like lift some heavy stuff and he didn't because he had something else going on, I'd be fuming. Next time yeah. I saw him, it, yeah, it might be casual, but you two would meet, you know, might be out on the line on Europe. And you're like, listen, dickhead, you, I know you wasn't doing yeah. anything else that day. You definitely could have been guys with these knobheads, these knobheads. <laughs> I'm going over there for the rest. Yeah, yeah, you've got benches. <laughs> Listen, before we wrap up, mate, and this has been really, really good insight, the games at Lazio, Villarreal, you know, we mentioned the, the Ireland-England game, you know, yeah. Lazio, for God's sake, what was it like doing them? I actually, Lazio was a very good game. It was, it was against a team in Russia that I can't remember the name of. That's really bad. But they, I actually had a disallowed a, a goal against Lazio in the very last minute of the match that would have won the game for them. Oh, really? Uh-huh, yeah, for offside. Um, so coming in, uh, Italian teams in particular had a lot of entourage with them, like a lot of them, like 10 times more than anybody else. And coming in, I was the one going into the tunnel, obviously. I was a senior assistant, so I was in at the tunnel. I got swamped and thankfully at that moment 
inside the tunnel, there was a big screen. And this was after the match. Thankfully, just at that moment, the replay was being shown. And I said, guys, please take a look. And thankfully, I got it right. So that was a really good moment. Because in big games like that there, when you have to make big decisions, you are confident, but there's, like, you're only human. There's always a big thing in the back of your mind going, oh, what if, what if? Mm-hmm. And more often than enough, you're right. But the odd time you might be wrong. But that can make you stronger. But that moment, obviously, coming in, you're thinking Lazio, big Italian, we referee from Northern Ireland. All these things going through my head. They're going to blame me. Have I ruined this for us as a team? You're only human. But thankfully, I was right. But... We went back to the hotel that night and it was very late. A lot of them games kick off in the Europa League at maybe 9, 10 o'clock at night. So by the time you get back to the hotel, it could be it could be 12, 1 o'clock in the morning. But they still insist that you have a meal because everywhere you go, you're, you're treated well. So we had a meal in the hotel at crazy o'clock in the morning. And we always had a tradition. Um, after the meal, no matter what time it was at night, we would go down to one person's room in the hotel and have one beer. One beer before we travel home. Just have a wee chin wag privately. So we were we were making our way down the, the hallway in the hotel and this guy jumped out of the door of a room in his briefs and his vest and we gave him glasses and he says, I'm such and such Italian media. Can I have an interview? And this was at three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> And Artie was a wee bit taken back, but he was nearly from from where I was saying, I was thinking that he was nearly going to go. Yeah, what do you want? What do you want to know? Yeah. And I'm going, come on, you! Come on. I, I more or less, we all more or less said, like, we can't speak to media and strip down to the room. But like we things that got proper in your mind too. But Lassie was fantastic. Villarreal, they got our first. We get word that we're going to do our first Europa League game, um, and that's what we were striving towards at that time to get into the groups. Because that's where the, you know that's where they want to be. It's first of all Europa League and Champions League. But when we found out we were getting an appointment, you know, it's the same at any level. You always look at the games and go, "What? Wonder what game we'll get?" You know, when you find out because the way it works in Europe is you find out you have a match in the Europa League, but you don't be told where you're going until you get your flights maybe three or four days beforehand. So that was maybe two weeks, two two weeks before. Europa League games. So we were studying these games. Where could it be? Villarreal is one game we thought not a chance. No, it was one of the Spanish La Liga team. First game, they're not going to send us there. We were looking at the smaller clubs, thinking, oh, when we find out we won a Villarreal, we were like, this is me. And it was at the Madrigal? It was at the Madrigal, yeah. Wow. And it was it was fantastic. It was and thankfully the game went really smoothly for us for a first game in the Europa League. Um everything went really well. And, but it was just a whole you know, your friends asking you where you're going, I run out to do Villarreal. What? You know, because at that stage, we had done a number of big games, but nothing to that level. You know, that was probably our first big, big, big one. And that was the start of, that was the start of the, the journey for a couple of years. And unfortunately, it was, <laughs> wish I had it went on longer, but in saying that, can't complain because we've done some fantastic matches. We talked about the great grounds. What was the what was the greatest city that you visited? Mm. Liverpool, obviously. You must have gone to Liverpool. Do you know what? I really like Liverpool as a city, but it's a shame about the football thing. 
Oh, well, that's the end of the podcast. Thanks very much. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. We've got his brother on next. We're going to get rid of him. Yeah. There's a slag him off. No, I really like Liverpool as a city. It's a lovely city. So it's, um, no, cities, I've been to a lot of nice places. Um, Athens, surprisingly, I say Athens because that's where probably all went wrong for us in a game that finished it for us. Um, but Athens as a city is beautiful. Um, where else? Moscow. Beautiful city. And you know what? Lovely people. Lovely. Anywhere you go, you know, anywhere we went, we were Kazakhstan. There was a place in Kazakhstan uh, called Pavlodar. And it was out of this world. It was... It, it, I always had an ambition to, to referee outside of Europe. Now, up until that point, I hadn't. But I counted that country because... Another part of Europe, but it's almost uh, Asia. Almost. So most, almost most of it was Asia. Asia. But then thankfully I got the opportunity after that to go to Saudi Arabia. But um no, Pavlodar was a city, Athens was a city that I really enjoyed. Bordeaux, Bordeaux was lovely. Um but there's, there's so many. There's so many. Did you get the obligatory photo in Red Square. Yeah, I did. I did. Wow. That's fantastic. You, crazy spot. Anyone else here who wants to get into refereeing and you see the journey and, you know, we, we, we as a charity, as Ref Support UK, we, we want to flash up that there's referee abuse out there, there's referee assault out there. We, we, that's important to us so people can realise and prepare them for what might happen. But we'll always say some amazing opportunities being a match official, being a referee, being assistant referee or lino as we like to call it. And it's just that we'll always be outweighed the bad by the good experience like this. And I think you've shown that, you've shown some great insights, some wonderful, wonderful, passionate insights to it. Achieved some amazing things, not only for yourself, but for the, the North of Ireland. With your brother, absolutely incredible. And now you're moving on to, to refereeing in the South and and. I am sure the, boy, the boys will join us in. We wish you all the best in that, mate. And this has been a cracker insight into you. And just carry on using that black whistle and I'm sure you go from strength to strength. Yeah, thanks yeah, for having really me. Really enjoyed it, Richard. Thanks very much for joining thanks, us. Thanks, bitch. Well, Thank you very much. Mate. Cheers for sharing your stories and see you all on the next episode of Referees, the Final Whistle podcast. Having trouble tracking who can play and who can't? Download Down to Play before your next match. The first app to purely focus on player availability. Get Down to Play for free in the App Store and Google Play. This week's Selk podcast was brought to you by Down to Play, the simple app for next game availability.